0: So I want to welcome Helen to our uh, our sangha this morning. I believe this is her first time joining us. And welcome back, Debbie, and all the rest of you folks. Um, this is the fourth class of our 14-class structure study of the meaning of wise restraint uh, leading up to our wise restraint-themed retreat uh, that begins June 29th up at Juan Dharma Center. Um, and this leads direct... this. Particular Sutta, the Karma, karma Sutta, or the Kama Sutta, uh, relates directly to wise restraint, and it it is wise restraint that we're able to address our present moment unfolding of our karma. So, um, wise restraint is Dhamma practice, and there is no Dhamma practice without really understanding this structured study, because this is what focuses our mind on life as life occurs, rooted in Jhana meditation, and now framing what's occurring through the Eightfold Path through that understanding. Um it, it you really can't talk about or I really can't talk about karma without simply without mentioning rebirth, even though this this Sutta isn't about that. But there's they're closely related. Uh and the Buddha dismissed any significance to future births, meaning future physical births, or even births in different uh planes of existence. He simply there were simply um unimportant and a distraction to developing his dava. And so what he taught in relation to birth and rebirth is to be mindful of what we're giving birth to or the quality of mind that we're bringing into this present moment. And that relates directly to karma. So karma is a uh, uh, a very popular <laughs> pop phrase uh, that is applied almost universally incorrectly. Um, if you can say that something that is universal is applied incorrectly, it just means that the universal application of karma doesn't reflect what the Buddha actually taught. Uh, So karma isn't some um, grand cosmic behavioral modification scheme based on reward and punishment, although that's how it's often portrayed, that uh, if if I express just ordinary, normal, sane human kindness, I'll get a little bit of gold, and if I don't, somebody's going to come along and take away my gold and that that's the general teaching on karma and that's just a pernicious way of introducing self-loathing to us isn't it and it also in a in a very subtle but important way maintains self-referential views which is exactly what the dhamma is developed so that we can recognize and abandon what is more self-referential what is more rooted in eye making in that the world is happening to me and I can't do anything about it. Of course, the Buddha's Dhamma teaches us to recognize what we're doing to ourselves based on the quality of our mind in this moment and change that. And that is the resolution of karma, excuse me. So karma is not the current moment manifestation of our conditioned thinking reflected in what's occurring, what's arising in this moment. until it is moderated or seen by the present level of mindfulness and that requires concentration it requires jhana so that my mind is quiet enough in this moment so i can recognize that what's occurring is not personal and so to start resolving karma the present moment unfolding of past intentional actions conditioned actions moderated by the present level of my mindfulness and so if in this moment my mindfulness is still rooted and inclined towards ignorance My karma, what I'm giving birth to in this moment, will only continue to incline my mind towards further ignorance. That's clear? That's karma. It's not imposed on us. It's the quality of our mind in this moment. So my karma can also be the present quality of my mind that is now developing concentration and refined mindfulness that is now inclined towards awakening. And so I'm a developing a kind of karma that might be called good karma, but there is no such thing as good and bad karma, is there? Karma is completely neutral, just like everything else in the world. It's completely impersonal. Okay, It'll become a little bit more clear, I hope, <laughs> after the Buddhist teachings. From, so this is the Karma Sutta. This is the Buddha's direct teaching on karma. Um, just a simple reading of this would have you start questioning what everything you've ever learned about karma, and questioning either they're right or the Buddha's right. I go with the Buddha. And another thing to point out just before I start, there is no mention here or anywhere else in the, in the Buddha's Dhamma of future karma or any future becoming, save for be mindful of becoming further ignorant. Remember when the Buddha awakened, and one of the his concluding statements about his own awakening is there is nothing he put his right hand on the ground, touching he had overcome the earth, and he said... There is nothing further for me in this world. Meaning he had cut all the entanglements, all the karmic entanglements to the world, and he was now liberated to live his life free of ignorance, free of free of the karmic influences of ignorance. The karma sutta, acting to acting to awaken is the subtitle. Karma means acting. So again, we're not punished for our actions. The teaching of karma is to be mindful of our actions, so to be so to recognize skillful and unskillful behavior, or behavior rooted in Dhamma practice, or behavior rooted in ignorance. On one occasion, the Buddha addressed those gathered. Listen and pay close attention, friends, and I will teach you past and current karma, again, not future karma, it it, it has no relation to the Dhamma, past and current karma, the cessation of karma, and the path and practice leading to the cessation of karma. So everything we want to know about Dhamma practice or the direction is right there in that one beginning statement. And the path and practice leading to the cessation of karma. How could we even be confused about the path and practice? At least after listening to this sutta or me. Past karma is to be seen as the sixth sense base. Remember that. That, again, I say this a lot, that is the most important line <coughs> in all the Dhamma. Because it points to where the Dhamma is developed, where life is occurring and where I'm reacting because of my mind rooted in ignorance. It is the sixth sense base, my five physical senses and the sixth sense of consciousness that animate this form, correct? And so it is also the sixth sense base that comes in contact with the world. And when that base is rooted in ignorance and interpreting what's occurring through ignorance of Four Noble Truths, it can only create stress and stuff, suffering, stress and distraction, through misunderstanding what's occurring. Why? How does the human mind misunderstand what's occurring? Because it lacks the framework for seeing this clearly. What is the framework? We'll get to it, but it's the Eightfold Path. And it is the Eightfold Path that brings this to cessation, as the Buddha stated earlier, and it occurs in the sixth sense base. Why am I emphasizing this so much? Because much of much of the teachings on karma as reward and punishment and much of the teachings that I came across in modern Buddhism were about leaving this body behind or this present moment and seeking a future establishment in some more favorable plane of existence, whether as a consequence of reward and punishment or simply escaping from this awful physical plane. And it's not always characterized as awful, but <laughs> off it is. And so the sixth sense base, what does it mean? It means that I must be well concentrated and I must understand a way to see this currently, what's occurring in this moment. I have to be here. And how, how do I develop the ability to be right here and right now in my life as my life occurs, as my Dhamma practice is unfolding and revealing my mind to myself? Through concentration and refined mindfulness. And so this, to reemphasize that point, Even in meditation, I'm learning to train the sixth sense base, aren't I? And to use it properly as a reference point to what's occurring rather than a vehicle for for continued personalization of the life experience, for continued eye making. What do I mean by that? This simple act of taking a breath, uniting my mind and my body, being mindful of my in-breath and my out-breath, and a feeling or a thought arises. Where is that feeling or thought arising? What was it coming in contact with? Even in my mind, it's coming in contact with the sixth sense base. And I'm evaluating that based on sensual data, conditioned sensual data. And so if it's a pleasant feeling that's arising or a pleasant thought attached to a feeling, I'll let that distract me in my meditation practice. And I'll remember in meditation, wait a minute, I'm distracted. I'm distracted by a feeling or a Mm -hmm. thought or a thought attached to a feeling, an emotion. And I reclaim my mind. I initiate concentration in this moment of my life, on my cushion. And then off my cushion, when the same thing occurs, when a coworker says, hey, you want to go down and get a piece of chocolate cake? And I jump at it. And I say, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four. And I'm just talking about giving in to desire. I'm distracted out of that moment. But a well-concentrated mind will say, no, not right now. Cake is not for me right now. Something else is. I'm going to stay present. I'm going to stay concentrated. I'm going to stay within me, not without me. And so the same thing goes when a unpleasant thought arises in meditation. That that confrontation I think I'm going to have with that co-worker or my spouse after meditation, and I take a breath and realize that's not occurring right now. It's occurring in my mind. It's a disturbance in my mind that I created. And now it's not occurring, it's not created. I've practiced wise restraint and concentration and I'm bringing my karma to cessation all within that sixth sense space in that moment. Does everybody follow or does anybody have any questions? So, and if you do, please ask. This, now's the time, that. that's why we have these classes.
1: So, David, within that explanation, there is no place to look back at bad karma Yes, and there's no judgment... So, therefore, there's no consequences if the next moment is framed with an equal
2: path.
0: Yes. Is that it, right? it, I, hope, I hope everybody heard what David said, but uh, to, to synopsize, David said stop judging it, stop evaluating it, stop trying to analyze the past as if the past could, as if even doing that would somehow change the future or even change the present moment. How could it? It's a foolish exercise. And I'm not saying in all instances it's foolish. In this instance, it's foolish. There is things we can learn from the past. But as far as understanding karma and what we bring on our meditation cushion, there's no value in analyzing any feel or thought that arises. We simply recognize them, as David said, as impermanent and come back to the sensation of breathing. And so we're deepening our concentration and we're training ourselves in the seclusion of jhana meditation how we can take seclusion off our cushion Excuse, excuse me, and maintain that seclusion while we're walking through the world. So, the Buddha continues, karma is fabricated by intention. Karma is made by intention. What is the second aspect of the Eightfold Path? In Right intention, which implies wrong intention. So my karma is developed by wrong or ignorant intention. I create it for myself, but I can also end it directly through my own efforts. As the Buddha would say, by becoming rightly self awaken I do it myself. Karma is fabricated by intention and experienced by sense contact. I create it and then I experience it. Remember the Nagara Sutta where the Buddha is describing the feedback loop that he recognized just prior to his awakening. We do that to ourselves. Another way of characterizing it in more modern terms is almost the prison of two ideas. But we get caught up in this way of looking at ourselves as lacking in something or needing something. And looking out in the world to supply that or to or to apply the remedy to it. Neither one exists in the world, folks. And what can I understand since it's present? Since it's not present in the world, the resolution of my ignorance cannot be found in the world. It can't be found by acquisition. It can't be found by a safe room. It can't be found by escape into Twitter or Facebook or TV, or golf, or sex, or drugs, or rock and roll, or anything in the world. It can't. But it can be resolved within our mind and within the sixth sense space, provided we find a way to take control of it. To literally take control of our minds in this moment and maintain that control moment by moment in life as life occurs. That's cool. This is being liberated from karma. Let me continue. Then the Buddha says, and this relates directly to what David just said, The sixth sense base is past karma. So it can only be through using the impressions and the conditioned thinking created by this ignorant sixth sense base at one point in my life to continue to recreate those conditioned moments in this present moment and think that I'm somehow bringing the past into this present. The only way I'm doing that is from a fabricated psycho-emotional memory that I have to maintain moment by moment by my own ignorance. It takes great effort. That's called stress. Maintaining that fabricated view of myself that would also maintain conditioned karma moment by moment is exhausting. And it's why most of us go to bed exhausted instead of inspired every night. And it's why most of us wake up exhausted rather than inspired every morning. And it's not because of the world. It's because of a misunderstanding of ourselves and our place in the world. The Buddha continues, current karma, so now we understand past karma is rooted in the sixth sense base, And because it is, we can also end it by not going there, as David pointed out. Current karma is fabricated, thoughts, words, and deeds arising and passing away. It's really the same thing, isn't it? Current karma is as fabricated as the past karma. As the past unpleasant moment that I drag into this moment to to, to color and inform the next moment is the same, and, it's, and I do it to myself, whether I'm dragging the past into this moment as experience, or I'm dragging the past in the, into this moment to color this experience. It's the same thing, isn't it? It's a distraction rooted where? Rooted in what I'm holding in mind, and, and, and what I'm holding in mind often has nothing to do with what's actually occurring. Including something like, just as, as an example, someone who might be in my face, Well, isn't my agitation at someone being right in my face realistic and current? Well, it could and it couldn't be because there's no reason I have to get upset over someone who's in my face. I can understand it through the Dhamma. And then, because I have ended conflict in my mind, I will no longer contribute to the conflict in this other person's mind who's right in my face. And in so doing, in so doing, I will truly be contributing to peace in the world, won't I? In a way that's effective that's not rooted in ideology or legislation. It's rooted in human understanding. I don't want to fight with you because I don't want to create conflict in my mind. And I want to leave you in peace so I don't increase the conflict in the world. And sometimes that means turning around and walking away. That's wise restraint. Sometimes it's having the wisdom that we develop in the Dhamma to know when it's appropriate to say something. That's called knowing what right speech is. And how do we know how to do it? How do we know to differentiate that? Through the Dhamma, through a well-concentrated mind. Because then we can perceive things clearly. It's often given, and it, there's, there's hundreds of stories where the, the, the Buddha is portrayed as having some great quality of, of clairvoyance and mind reading. That he could, and it's just not so. And the Buddha says it in many suttas. I don't have those powers. Psychic powers are foolish to chase after. I don't have them. What he had was this, this amazing power of concentration and refined mindfulness that he could understand another human being. And guess what? He's teaching us from 2600 years ago how to do the same. That's true sympathy and true empathy. And it's also true wisdom. And think about that. If we really want to end conflict in the world, we'll first end conflict in our mind. And if we would all learn to do that, there, I think there would be, you know, speculation a bit, there'd be a lot less conflict in the world, wouldn't there? Maybe. The Buddha continues, cessation of karma of karma, is the release from ignorance of four noble truths. So how do we end our karma? It's not through doing lifetimes of good deeds to, to, to obviate all the many lives of past deeds. Remember Angulimala. It has nothing to do with that. The cessation of karma comes from the ending of ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And where does that occur? It can only occur in my mind when my mind is present for my life as my life occurs. And there's no condition on that. Meaning there's it's not conditioned on worldly events or the people in the world or the people closest to us or it's not even has anything to do much with your Dhamma teacher except hopefully he's teaching you A legitimate dhamma, something that's actually useful. But the reason why I'm saying that, even though we are practicing the dhamma as intended, it's still up to us to continue it. Remember, this is a triple refuge. And this is, again, there's so much that, that intersects with karma. This is the triple refuge. There is no triple refuge in the past or the future. The triple refuge of a human Buddha, giving his teachings to us, in a well-focused and well-informed sangha occurs, sangha occurs right here and right now. And again, just common sense would say, how else could it be? How else could it be except right here and right now? Cessation of karma is the release from ignorance of four noble truths and the three forms of stress and suffering of <clears throat> bodily, verbal, and mental fabrications. This is the cessation of karma. And then he says to leave no ambiguity to how we do it, the path leading to the cessation of karma is precisely the Noble Eightfold Path. So why did I spend 20 years in all different forms of spiritual slash Buddhist practices? Because nobody ever taught it, and nobody ever emphasized it. And, And honestly, through all those years, I never heard Four Noble Truths or Eightfold Path actually taught the way the Buddha taught it, and I hardly ever heard it taught, and hardly even mentioned hardly even mentioned. What I found, and at least what my practice is and what our practice is, is all of that and none of the other. The path leading to the cessation of karma is precisely the noble Eightfold Path, which is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. Using those terms, I could use the words appropriate view, appropriate, etc. But the, the point is that, and the point that the Buddha was making, is there is such a thing as, uh, as wrong view. There is such a thing as wrong intention or wrong speech, wrong action, wrong life. In fact, the, it is these wrong things that we're sometimes hesitant to see clearly as wrong that would come to the dhamma in the first place or at least seek some kind of spiritual foundation for our life, some spiritual understanding or escape, if you will. We understand, something, we understand that something we're doing isn't quite right. And the Buddha says, yeah, you're right. It's wrong. This is what is right. This is right behavior. This is right pack practice for those that are interested. And again, it's not saying that the whole world is wrong, but if you want to practice what the, what the Buddha taught, if you want to take triple refuge in what the Buddha actually taught, it's right speech, etc. And it impl- implies an understanding and abandoning of wrong speech, wrong intention, etc., etc., including wrong mindfulness, key to the Dhamma, and wrong meditation. Again, why did the Buddha teach it to people that were sitting right in front of him? Because all of them, up until that point, were practicing various forms of wrong mindfulness and wrong meditation. And he wanted to point out to them, remember how he would say this, out of sympathy for others, he taught something that might be contradictory and sometimes disconcerting, but out of sympathy and out of his own courage, he said, no. That's not right. This is what's right. He concludes that by saying, this is the noble eightfold path of practice leading to the cessation of karma. Friends, I have now taught you past and current karma, the cessation of karma, and the noble eightfold path leading to the cessation of karma. I would say, what else do you want? But, he says, (laughs) whatever any teacher would do out of true sympathy and compassion for their students, I have done for you. Excuse me. To me that's still such a poignant line and almost brings me to tears when I think about this because you remember uh, the sutta where he talked about just post the Buddha's awakening where he considered how can I teach this to others knowing how how difficult it is, the the veil of ignorance how difficult it is to to pierce that veil of ignorance for ordinary human beings and if if he could teach it in a way that would be skillful to others, that that people could actually use it. And he considered this for a few weeks. And he and he was considering whether he should actually do it. Uh, one of his considerations was it's just going to be a bother to me because it's going to be so difficult to pierce that veil. Why would I want to put myself through this? And this is what this is his considerations. And he finally realized that if there's just and everybody's, well, most people in modern Buddhism have heard this phrase that this Dhamma is just for those with a, just a little speck of dust in their eyes. And young Siddhartha thought, if I can find just those people, then I'll get up off his bed of twigs and teach. And that's when he got up and started teaching. Just for those few with a speck of dust in their eyes. And that's why I also emphasize the point the Buddha never saw himself as a savior. He never, he never taught anything salvific in nature. He taught something to develop understanding as a human being. He only saw himself as a human being. He he reiterates what he was as a human being, a tathagata, a rightly self-awakened one. And then he spent the rest of his life, 45 years, teaching us how to do exactly what he did. Something entirely and utterly human awakened to what it means to be human. And if we can face and resolve our karma through wise restraint, we will. The Buddha then tells us exactly how we can do this and be sure of doing it. Don't be mindless. Think about this. From 2,600 years ago, how powerful, how important, and how kind and compassionate these words are. Tins with a bit of courage. Don't be mindless. Don't be foolish. Do not fall into regret for not developing the Dhamma. And then he says over and over again, over there are roots roots of trees and empty huts. Establish seclusion and practice, jhana, that single meditation method, as one factor of the Eightfold Path. And then he concludes this by saying, this is my teaching to you. And he's still doing it. Thank you all for listening. So, uh, it's a rather short sutta. I say this at almost every one, but it is one of the most important suttas, isn't it? But they all are, because all of the suttas... Reference dependent origination and Four Noble Truths in one way or another. They include aspects of the Eightfold Path. There are direct instructions for how to develop the Dhamma, especially here. Let's not be mindless. And we don't have to be. Let's do jhana, continue to develop this incredibly gentle and direct path. And we get to do it ourselves and we get to do it right here and right now with wise restraint. So let me go online. I want to welcome our our newest member, uh, Helen. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you.
3: So I, it's wonderful. Thank you for hosting this. I appreciate it a lot. I had one question. I, I, was, I couldn't find the reference, but does the Buddha not talk about bright karma and dark karma? Or is that people after him? That's, yes.
0: Yes, in fact, there is... Um, it's in the... it's I can't remember what sutra it's, I, I I make a distinction saying sutta and sutra, meaning the suttas are from the sutta, Pitaka, Sutras are everything else, mostly. And I think it might be in the heart sutra that the Buddha references that, but I could be wrong. But now I'm going to look. But yeah, so, so the, the Buddha, um, he taught, like, everything. You know, it's one of the things that got me thinking that if a human being actually awakened, what he taught must be or at least should be fairly simple and so his teachings on karma are simple but are what we've developed is rather complicated but it's just that he used a common word common to his time and common to our time in a completely contradictory way but to make the point because remember his students had a a misunderstanding of karma that they were holding in mind and hoping to resolve just as we are hoping to resolve karma, but now he was teaching them your understanding of karma was a wrong understanding. This is what is meant by karma. And again, the only reason he did that was really to teach wise restraint, right? because karma is right here and right now. So he's teaching, again. the important teaching on karma is karma is this, right here, right now. Karma is me. I sometimes say if, I want, if we want to know our karma, if you want to know your karma, take a look in the mirror. Get a good look at your life, because what is occurring in your life, and I could say it even a little bit more accurately, how you're reacting to what's occurring in your life is your present karma. It's up to you. It's got nothing to do with anything else. And that alone, once we can understand that thought, that is the most liberating thought, because nothing is happening to me. And it's, nothing is happening because of me. And it's not me. Bye. <coughs> I can be present for each and every moment of my life. And that makes each and every moment meaningful, no matter what awful karma is coming up. Helen, I hope that answer helped.
3: Well, I mean, I, what, what, what I was reacting to was your statement that there's no good karma or bad oh, karma. Yeah. And then I was thinking he said, I thought he said bright karma and dark karma. So I wasn't sure, you know, if we kill somebody, that, that's karma.
0: Ah, you know, thank you for bringing if it we up. We are
3: generous. That's karma. Yes. You bring up. So I'm just thinking about the, that aspect.
0: Yes. Yeah. So that that's the um, uh, more modern aspect that the Buddha d- didn't teach. He didn't teach that, okay. that. There's a and just a real good example. Just because, I, I, um, and there's many teachings like this. Probably the clearest one is the teaching or the the story of Miller the murderer. So, Angela Miller was uh, the local martyr, everybody knew of him, uh, and he loved it so much, and he loved people knowing it, that the legend is that he cut his victim's fingers off and made a, 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 a necklace out of these bloody fingers and walked around the town with these 99 fingers. And so, he's, he's walking down the road with these 99 bloody fingers, letting everyone know he's Angela Miller, the murderer, and he spies Siddhartha walking towards him the other way. And he says, ah, here's number 100. I'm going to get 100. And there's a long story about how he kept walking towards the Buddha and he could never get quite close enough, but that that doesn't have much to do with the story. And eventually, they encounter each other. He's ready to kill the Buddha. And he notices the Buddha's countenance. this this, just pure calm. And it allows Ungolomil to pause, like we do, using jhana, for just a few moments of the Buddha's words. Upon hearing those words remember the Buddha understood the nature of Angulimala's distress and even though he was the worst person in the world at that time the Buddha didn't first tell him how awful he was like we are so prone to do aren't we he didn't first have to point out how wrong or how bad Angulimala was before he could offer him some true compassion married with true wisdom he simply presented the dhamma in a very simple and direct way to Angulimala Angulimala awakened on the moment, at that moment, and never harmed another human being. Never harmed another human being. I'll bring King Ashoka in, who was the same way, came to the dhamma. This is three hundred years after the Buddhist dhamma, and awakened. Both of these actors resolved their karma in the moment. The Buddha was was emphatic about saying about Angulimala because he was asked, "What's his future destination?" But he is the same way, and the answer was. There is no further destination for him. He resolves his issues right here and right now. And so, Angulimala had a brief few moments of awakened human life, and that was enough. King Ashoka, on the other hand, it, we're, the the um, Ma, Buddhism still be here, still being here today. Even just the Sutta Pitaka has more to do with King Ashoka than probably anybody, even uh, Anathapandika, And not, not grading them. But it's because of King Ashoka and his awakening, three hundred years after the Buddha's teaching, that many of the teachings were preserved. So, if if I could just be a little cute with you, Helen, that to me is good karma, <laughs> what King Ashoka developed. So that that's the that's the practical teaching that the Buddha gave on karma, and it is to remind us that awakening, and maybe and to encourage us, take to the Dhamma now and awaken, because. What sense is what? What value is it to do in the future if we can do it right now? And so the Buddha taught, let's waken right here and right now, as he did in this lifetime. So, thank you, Hal. I'm so glad you joined us. John. Uh, yes, Rob. Uh,
2: I always wondered when, uh, after Angela Miller uh, basically got the uh, the Dharma, and um, he was still dealing with. The consequences of his previous acts you know anybody who you mean would, his emotional not or so the much, legal aspect no not, not even that um, you know he would still go around the the countryside and people would see him and be afraid and he would still have to deal with with the reaction of of, of others
0: in that yeah not first short time but but yes but that was that was that was what he had to deal with. I know, no, what, you're he trying, I know what you're saying. Isn't that his karma? The, well, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the react... But it was up to him to react to that. To
2: react to that.
0: And so that's the... That's it, a great question here. Mm-hmm. A great point you brought up. So, I, Ron, Helen, did you hear what Rom said? That that he... That Angelo Miller would have <clears throat> to face people that would... That would be afraid of him simply because of his past. And so isn't that his karma affecting him? And... And the... The people's reaction are their reaction, and and that will contribute to their karma, and his karma now being resolved, there's no reaction to it. Why would he react? And so there's no there's no further karma. There's no experience of continuing ignorance in this moment. He's resolved his karma. So again, worldly conditions have nothing to do with it. But people will say that you know there's oh well, it, 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 it's a.
1: The first noble truth still exists.
4: Yeah, they, right, they're there there are People around reacting.
1: This it still doesn't happen. Doesn't
4: but give, you don't. It doesn't give you relief. It's yeah, just but you do yeah, even,
0: even if there was yeah. a legal, even if uh, even if Angela Miller was tried and convicted and hanged for his past acts, that's no. not his karma. In no. fact, you can say, no.
5: yeah. you know
0: that that that's the that's the immediate, not society's. Ongoing karma, that's society's immediate karma for for bringing that resolution to. Mm-hmm. So our karma is always what's occurring to me and how what is the quality of my mind. It has nothing to do with mm-hmm. the world or what the world might be doing to me, even if it's seen as part of a, a systemic um, organized punishment, such as a legal system. When I break the law and I'm punished for it, that's not karma, that's the legal system. That's the world I live in. Mm-hmm. If I'm... If, um, uh, if I look at somebody who's a very mean and person who flies off the handle, I don't like the way I looked at them, and they slug me. That's not karma, or I mean, it's, yeah, I can call it karma. I can get into, oh, I must have done something terrible in a life fifteen million years ago. I stepped on a, a prehistoric bug and, and got it. <laughs> I mean, well, that's what people think. And again, rooted in self-loathing, isn't well, I think it? it? The it belief of too. self-loathing. These things are happening to me because I'm bad, yeah. or I, I could be bad, or I need to be. <laughs> It encourages
4: to, more eye making. When yeah. you find karma mm-hmm. that way, it encourages you to mm-hmm.
6: go, Because you think the universe is keeping tabs on you. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go and
6: further
3: into which, which is huge eye
5: making. Yeah, and it is, it is it yeah. is that
0: reason. That that's the simple way. Thank yeah. you, <laughs> <Yeah>. Jen Becky. <laughs> really that's why the Buddha reason. didn't teach <laughs> karma <laughs> because it's the the popular notion of karma then and now is rooted in eye making. Mm-hmm. And so believing it just continues your own eye. Doesn't it
1: also John Allow people not to practice, yeah. Because I have this oh, yeah. baggage with me, yeah. and I, yeah. how do I overcome this past karma? Mm-hmm. So therefore, I won't even practice.
4: How could the, you? you? Yeah, just well, I am overwhelmed with. Except with, yeah,
1: you. yeah. Your your moment is right now. I can, yeah. I can now have it based on the formal truth.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I can. I can ge- generate liberation and peace in this moment myself. I don't have to resolve past issues because I can't. You I, 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 remind right. me of something that it was difficult for me to overcome up to a point. I was born Roman Catholic, and as a Roman Catholic, you're taught something called purgatory, that, which basically is, no matter how good you are, you're going to have to spend a couple of million years there. And, they, and I remember as a kid being feeling just so defeated. Yeah, I wanted to be yeah. a good kid, yeah. and I wanted to, you know, to be able to not have to go to compassion and, go to confession yeah. and make things up. Yeah, have original sin. Yeah, I, and I got something called original sin. I remember asking none about that, honestly. I'm not complaining from 60 years ago later. And I was hit because of bringing that question up. And I understand it now because that was something that she couldn't resolve. And it so bothered her. So it's common for us as human beings to develop these strategies of reward and punishment in one way or another. And in some ways, they're necessary. I, you know, I believe that we need a legal system. Yet we're not; we're still out of control as human beings. But maybe there's some way we can get to where we don't need that anymore. I think Becky has the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if Angela system. Miller has
5: has met the Buddha and has awakened, and now he's wandering through the countryside, and someone comes up to him and starts yelling at him because he's an awful murderer. And they're afraid of him and how could he do that? His karma is his reaction or response yep. to that particular at that yes. particular moment. And it's an
0: opportunity for him to practice the Dhamma. Isn't it's it? an opportunity yep. for him
5: to practice the Dhamma. Yeah.
0: He can either lose his mind or not. That's right. And that's that, that's the and that <sighs> so excuses yes. the harsh <laughs> phrase, but that's the choice we have in each each moment holds a potential for continued ignorance. Or for awakening, that's the point of wise restraint. It's a point of recognizing. It's the only useful point for for even getting into the idea of karma to understand this sutta. I'm sorry. Ron.
2: No, but uh, just it's his uh, opportunity at that moment to practice restraint. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah karma is that. wise
0: restraint. Thank you, Helen White. Right, Brian.
4: Sounds good. <laughs>
0: Okay, you're awake. and You're good to go. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and
1: is another way of looking at this the the direct personal experience of the feedback loop of the three marks of existence? Yes,
0: yes, it's exactly that. <clears throat> yep. We're when we're when we're reacting, we're caught up in the, in that <clears throat> misunderstanding of the impermanence of all things, and not self characteristic reflecting off of that, all rooted in deluded thinking, and it's all. All of it, let me put it this way, none of it has ever happened before. <laughs> How's that? It's happening now. <laughs> but it really, in all usefulness and skillfulness, nothing has ever happened before except this moment. Because this moment, is, this moment can be a fresh and pure moment. Or I can drag remnants of past thinking, which is all I, we can ever do, housed in this body into this moment. To cloud what's occurring. It's a good way of putting it. And if my mind is pure as I move into the next moment, then my experience is pure. It's fresh. But I also get the benefit of being a mature human being. Because a mature human being understands what's occurring. and doesn't I make in this moment. Again, full human maturity. Why would I make something other than what I am if I already understand what I am? That desire is gone. It's resolved. It's resolved in understanding. Thanks, Brian. Good morning, Mary.
3: Good morning, John. Um, Great sutta. uh, Great conversation. I understand it, you know, very simply is, you know, am I being informed by the eightfold path in this moment? Um, You know, like someone might come at you because of earlier behavior, but it's the emotional maturity in that moment that allows you to rise above it, understand and have some appreciation for where that person is coming from. But in that moment, you have the opportunity to show them something different. And that doesn't mean necessarily acting it out. Like you often hear people saw the Buddha and they knew, that something was different or whatever, and people see that in you too, by mm-hmm. the calm and peacefulness when you're informed by the Eightfold Path, you're um, aware of the Four Noble Truths, you understand where suffering comes from. Then, in that moment, you have enough concentration to keep yourself in that moment yeah. and anchored to what's actually being presented, not 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 through a filter or a lens that's muddied up by. All this stuff inside of you, the self-loathing
0: and all of that. Is that a fair enough exclusion? That's more than fair. That's brilliant. Brilliant. And and so in that moment, we're not contributing to conflict in our own minds and we're not bringing any more conflict in the world. And again, we had a little talk with David about this, about is the world getting crazier and crazier or not? But it really doesn't matter. It's our reaction or, or calm response to what's occurring. And no matter what the situation is, there's some horrible things happened in the last few days, but we can understand all of it. We can understand the motivation. We can understand the suffering of others. We can understand you know everything about it. We can understand even to, things that we might have judged as lacking or poor response, etc., cetera, et cetera. all the things that we're getting caught up in and simply say, wait a minute, this is humanity unfolding. Sometimes it's awful, sometimes it's magnificent. You know, and we, and we can't, here we talk recently about the 99 and 1. We get so caught up in the 1, and through a lack of, of wise restraint, we don't see the 99. The 1 is the good, the, I mean the bad, the crap that gets our attention all the time, that we tend to characterize the world by, that 1%. And we, we, because of a lack of restraint... We're not able to see the 99% that's right there all the time, always. And so life is horrible, it's frightening, and it's magnificent, and it's inspiring. That's human life. Do I want only a part of it? Do I want to live it myself? Or do I want to have all of it? And if I decide that I want to actually live a human life, I have to accept, got to take the good with the bad. But the good is incredible it's a real it's it's a uh it's a must win game because if we can just recognize and separate the need for the bad to be different than it is, we can more readily accept uh, somebody who's trying to get in we can more readily not even accept we can more readily live within the incredibleness the poignancy of each moment but we can, again i'm I'm a little emotional because I, I think that's what's really getting me is how quick we are to lose this moment and lose our whole lives to awful but momentary events and again because of that we don't see the incredible I mean this is um, when I was thinking about this this morning when I woke up this Memorial Day weekend used to be a big weekend for us it was the beginning of summer there was a big uh, family picnic which is back then it was about a hundred people my dad marched in the parade and it was just a big deal. And that flavor, that quality doesn't seem to be here anymore. Maybe it's just everything, but maybe we feel like we don't have anything to celebrate. And that's sad. Even this, this weekend is about celebrating the people that we loved that are no longer here. We don't celebrate it because we're not happy because they died. We're happy because they lived and we should be happy that we're living. I said, no, stop, stop saying shit, I don't mean it. I don't mean it <laughs> to rant so much. Um, But the whole point of the Dhamma is to liberate ourselves to be present for this moment, not the next moment. This is all that's happening, and it's incredible. Just think about the interaction that we've had already this morning. Every one of you has inspired me, and I think every one of you has inspired everyone else. Is that a true statement? Yes or no? Isn't that incredible? And again, it doesn't make us special, it doesn't make what we're doing special. But we should recognize it. And other pe- there's people that are, are down at Love & Oven having a wonderful breakfast, enjoying their moment. And again, I'm not saying that they're not having a wonderful moment because they're not here. <laughs> the world is going on. The world is doing all kinds of great stuff. And they're also resolving some awful issues. But what we must do is learn to awaken, to gain full human maturity, if we're to be alive. And that comes from wise restraint. Thank you, Mary. Debbie, welcome to our saga this morning. Hello, good morning. Good morning. I, I don't know what to say. I You don't have to, you don't, please don't feel like you have to say anything, but please, please do if you'd like to.
3: Something Yes, something resonated with me with the, when you were talking about, um, you know, the karma of our thoughts and creating peace just in the every single, you know, simple reactions of everyday life, interacting with people. It just, that really is important to me. And I really appreciate that. And I'll try
0: to be mindful of that. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you, Debbie. That, that really was poignant what you said. Um, it, it, most of you know who Giddu Krishnamurti is, it doesn't really matter if you don't, but he used to say this, he'd start most of his talks uh, by saying, look at the life you're living. And he didn't mean that in an offhanded way. He, he was really talking about karma. The problem with Krishnamurti is he doesn't know how to teach people to awaken. He didn't teach an Eightfold Path, but he was a brilliant man. Look at the life we're living. and it, is, it the, is the quality of our life what we want? Not the circumstances, because there's some circumstances we can control and there's some we can't. We shouldn't worry about those but we should understand it. Look at the life I'm living. And it, it would be hard to say that I can look at the life I'm living and say it sucks, no matter what's occurring, because it's occurring, it's life. This is the experience of life in this moment. Some people have a completely different experience. The point I'm making is, but I'm not. And so I can be sympathy, sympathetic. It is out of sympathy for others that we developed a dominant and I can understand it. But again, the most important thing I can do for all the conflict in the world is to end it in my mind. And I get to enjoy that too. Right, Kevin. Great time.
7: Good morning, yeah. Kevin. Good morning. This is a, you know, fantastic discussion. Um, I remember, um, when I first started coming to your talks, um, years ago this was one of the first things you taught and there were probably 15 people in the class and it sort of refuted good karma bad karma and everybody's mm-hmm. looking for the secret maybe of oh if i just know this one thing then yeah. I'm good to go and then after that like they fled for the exits and and yeah. you know maybe people returned after that yeah. and and frankly i didn't understand any of it because i really hadn't studied very much about this philosophy or Hinduism or whatever, but with repetition of it and with uh, with all the teachings, you can just see how pure it is that it all resolves back to the Eightfold Path. It resolves stress. It resolves karma. Yeah. And, uh, thank you. And, and the discussion is wonderful. Everybody has such great insights into it. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, thank you for bringing up that point of repetition. It's just, it's your continued Practice your continued right efforts, that you were allowed to develop the eightfold path, and and I would say, not putting words in your mouth, you also develop great understanding and calm through it. Correct? Yes, I try. Yeah, I, I send Kevin <laughs> five bucks every week to say that.
5: <laughs>
0: Thank you, Kevin. Uh, future teacher, Tom. Jeez.
7: Um, <clears throat>
0: future <Hi>. teacher, Tom. <laughs>
7: Hi hi um, yeah it's uh, it, it is it's one of the first sutras I studied when I joined the sangha a few years ago or one of the first that, that it sort of demystified what what karma was um, for me which was really really helpful um, I, I like the end of this sutra where he kind of says it's quite blunt you know he's like over there are roots of trees and empty huts you know almost sort of saying you know, you know what to do. Just go and do it. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, that's quite, quite a sort of a, a very clear, clear way to, to, to end. Um, and, and it ties in. I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment called um, Four Thousand Weeks. In fact, I've just finished it. Um, it's not specifically Dharma. Um, but it, it, it has. There's a lot of sort of connections. Um, and you know, it's, it's really looking at. What are we doing with our lives? You know how four thousand weeks refers to, you know, if you live to the age of eighty, you have four thousand weeks ah, um, on 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 this planet, and so you know, connecting that to karma, um, you know, we've got four thousand weeks. Well, most of us have got a lot less than four thousand weeks, I guess, um, but we've we've got whatever. Who, who knows? Twenty thousand weeks um, yeah. to to awaken, and it's now. Or none, right? Sorry, or none, or none, yes, yeah. or none. Exactly, exactly. But the beauty of it is that we can awaken yeah. uh, now, right? right? Here, right in now. In, in, every, in every moment. So we don't need. And again, that connecting to messages in in or what I've learned from some of the other suitors yeah. is, you know, better to be. Awake for one day, than to live your entire life in um, uh, uh, in distraction. Yeah. Um, just, just quickly on karma. I guess a way in which I understand it is that um, the what we're experiencing now is or it's almost that we're we're inheriting the karma of our previous. Actions, which is, is essentially we're inheriting our habits so our habits of mind things that we've done in the past so if i make a series of skill unskillful decisions previously i will most likely be i am be more likely to feel stressed or whatever it might be in this moment but the the it that's not to say that we have to just you know sort of give into that because we have the opportunity through refined mindfulness yes. through the eightfold mark path to, to um, choose how we react to whatever we've, you know, whatever sort of yep. habits we've created um, um, for ourselves. And that's where we can change the karma and that's where you can create that sort of virtuous um, uh, cycle moving, moving forwards. Yes. Um, is that right?
0: Yes. Well said it, it it's clinging to stress bringing stress into this moment that's contributing to this moment there can be nothing stressful if I'm understanding what's occurring in this moment and I'm not talking about somebody comes up to me and points a gun at me was, I think it was our first retreat somebody was talking about the not self characteristic and they, they were getting excited and they well what do you do when a train's coming at you thinking their, their implication or their understanding was there's no such thing as a self and now I'm talking about a substantial self so what do you do as a Dharma practitioner, if a train's coming at you, Ram, what do you do if a train's coming at you? As a wise Dharma practitioner, <clears throat> three steps to the right, three steps to the you right, hit the center
2: rail, and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's it's a it's a practical way of living directly <laughs> in this world. Um, you said something I want to comment on. I forget what it was now. Yeah, maybe it'll come back to me.
7: Well, yeah. Yeah, I can't you inherit your. You, in that sense, you do inherit your previous actions. They do have a consequence in oh, the present moment. Yeah, so but, that
0: that's called conditioned you know, thinking. That, and we we condition yeah. our own. We condition our thinking by reacting to the conditions of our of our life. And so we know now that the brain, I think, is called the, the, the neuroplasticity. That the brain actually can be somewhat formed by what we're holding in mind, what our intentions are, how we're living our life, what we're putting into our bodies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so our our conditioned mind has conditioned our brain to react in a certain way based on that conditioning. And all would be lost if Siddhartha does not come along in his brilliance and figure out a way to work with that neuroplasticity and change it. And so we literally are changing the function of our brain, but we now know we can do that. We now know that we can have, we know that that the way we think has an effect on our brain chemistry. Um, Again, I don't get too deep into all with with the implications of that, but think about that. The the quality of my mind, the quality of my life depends on the quality of my mind. The quality of my mind depends on what I'm holding in mind. What I'm holding in mind depends on whether it's well-concentrated, and frame properly so I can spend my whole life reading nothing but Superman comics and at the age of 66 I'll still expect to be Superman, why? Because that's all I think about. And I'll be disappointed because I can't leap the tallest building, I can't leap the smallest building anymore. (laughs) But because I'm holding in mind something that is reasonable and actually rooted in reality, not the virtual reality most of us live in, my mind is calm and peace, it's conflict-free. I'm not likely to walk out of here and bring conflict into the world because I've attended to it within myself. And again, I would say those of us that are inclined towards salvation or being a savior, this is the path, and it's the only path that works. Because if I want to save you, which I'd like to, I wish I could, but if I want to, I've got to save myself first so I can understand how to save you. And once I save myself, I realize that the only thing I can do which is what Siddhartha understood upon his awakening is be an example of an awakened, fully mature human being. And again, that's all we're doing. And then look, look at it just, let me take it just a little bit further. Doesn't it make sense that being an authentic, ordinary human being be, be the easiest and simplest way to live in the world? <clears throat> Makes sense, doesn't it? And it and is. There is stress in being, what well, I'm not in this moment. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. In this moment, Popeye was right. Was right. I yam what I yam.
1: So John, the extraordinary thinking that somehow what you did a moment ago is going to affect the next moment, if you're just ignoring your practice.
0: Yeah, and and so we we can't help but keep stringing one conditioned thought to the next to the next to the next, or Interrupting that process, which is first done in jhana meditation. You know, every time we find out that we're or find that we're distracted, and we take a breath, unite our mind and our our, and my body, I'm interrupting that ongoing story of karma in my life. And it's just that way. And again, that interruption, that little breath in my body, gives me all the power I need to liberate myself, because it begins with that. It's not just the breath. It's the breath, jhana meditation, and the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path. But it brings a resolution to my karma right here, right now. Because jhana gives me the means for wise restraint. Good morning, Lauren. It's good to see good you.
6: Good morning. Thank you so much, John. Um, that sutta made so much sense and then the following conversation, I felt, just brought it all to life for me. Yeah, and yeah. Um, Great sangha. So... Uh, A close friend after the events of this week said to me that she felt there wasn't a place for her in this world of hate. And my first thought was exactly what you said how there's one, like, you know, one versus 99. There's one person doing something awful, but there's 99 people doing quietly beneficial things to this world. And that was my first thought was, well, it's not a world of hate. You know, we're seeing. through the media you know hateful actions of one individual which again we can understand through the Dhamma maybe some aspects of what's going on there right and um so anyway, I just wanted to thank you for saying that because it was a conversation I literally just had with someone. Yeah. And um, that paired with I'm reading the book Stolen Focus. Oh good. Oh, on, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Stolen
0: Focus by Johan Hong. Yeah,
6: <laughs> it's just really reiterating how important how important jhana meditation is, you know, in, yeah. in context of the Eightfold Path and how that gives us the opportunity to respond to life in a mindful way rather than having like quick reactions thinking that we're the center of everything that's going on, that there's really this, um, I think what he said in the book was a, a passive welcoming of, of the world, you know, that every moment you have that opportunity to make decisions and to react to what's happening, you know, and and without the baggage of, you know, alleged karma as, as a lot of people think of it. And, um, so I'm just grateful for our Sangha, and for
0: our, for Jhana practice, and for yeah. those continuing opportunities. Mm. Yeah, thank you Lauren, yeah, that, that uh, when we do, when we have that, when we reclaim that stolen focus, then the world is always a welcoming place, because we understand it, you know, we don't have to live in that crazy fear. No. It's, it's so sad what I hear, I hear that all the time though, I heard it from one of our students the other day, and thursday class you know how can i how can i live in this world that's full of hate well, But it's not you know just, i mean again just look around it seems like it all but i mean look around
4: We're in a room where, where is it where's
0: where really where's the hate
4: yeah
0: you know where's the violence it's not it's not here it's here at times that's what siddhartha taught but why did he teach that <laughs> one thing why didn't he say <clears throat> Uh, there is Sukha. Suka is, is human flourishing, the, the counter to dukkha. Why didn't he say that? Why didn't he just start out the whole thing with saying, hey folks there is Sukha, don't worry about the rest because he knew how cruel and hurtful that was because he knew that's basically what everybody else was teaching was everything is okay because no matter how crappy life is, when you get out of it, you get this he knew how hurtful that was and he said no, understand the suffering that is inherent in life and you'll liberate yourself from being distracted by it. And then you can enjoy the 99 and not be stuck in the one. And it worked, didn't it? You know, it really worked. And you were able to see that in such an important situation. You you maintained your quality of mind despite a friend of yours losing it, which might have been disturbing to you, correct?
6: Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, you wanted to know what to do, and I bet you said, I'm glad I got the Dharma. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not selfish, it's just a recognition that I found something that, that allows me to, to stay out of the world, you know? But be be present for it and enjoy it, you know? Enjoy all of it. It's incredible. Right, Laura? You better say yes. <laughs> yes. Yes,
8: <laughs> I agree. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, John. John, what's the distinction between... Because I'm trying to recall what everyone was saying and, um, and the teaching, but I guess... I have a habit of, you know, especially if you've wronged someone or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you want to learn from your previous wrong actions, like there's a fine line between overanalyzing all that and getting caught up in your past versus just like at first when I was listening to this teaching, it's like, oh, so do we just kind of forget everything that we've done, everything Mm -hmm. that we've done that was wrong and just kind of. Breathe, and then while well, the potential, you know, in this moment exists, um, to do better. But I guess our our current quality of mind is still informed by our previous experiences <laughs> yeah. in a way. But as Mary was saying, which was very helpful, it's always framed by the eightfold path. But what's that fine line between, I guess. You know, not over analyzing, but still having that keen understanding of you know all of your wrongdoings in the past and learning from that. Yeah,
0: you it, uh, again, Laura, you bring up something that's so important. I'm glad you did. The um, so this teaching in the Dhamma doesn't teach us that if we've truly wronged someone in one way or another, that we should just dismiss it and disregard it. Um, and what it does teach us, the whole Dhamma teaches us to be fully mature human beings. So what does a fully mature human being know when they've done something wrong to someone that they can correct, even if it's just through an apology? Make the apology. Mm -hmm. So again, if you recognize you've done something that's hurt someone, even if it's even if you remember it now, that it was something you did twenty years ago, this shouldn't dismiss you from saying, I want to make that right, because that's an act of liberating yourself from that. So and I know that from personal experience. One of the I I first established a level of Mindfulness by giving up alcohol and drugs. The only way I could do that was through something called the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. But not the modern 12 Steps, interesting enough. The 12 Steps, the way they were originally intended, which are, interesting enough, enough. in the world of addiction, the way to diminish eye-making in reference to addiction. And it works remarkably well when it's done that way. So anyway, there's an aspect of that called the Ninth Step. And the ninth step comes after the eighth step where you made a list of all the people you, you messed up with while you were drinking and drugging. In my case, it was quite a list. Um, with the idea that now you would identify these people that you've actually harmed. And part of your recovery from drugs and alcohol would be to go face these people that are the last people you ever want to face, especially early in addiction. And so imagine me, a little little, you know, scrawny, little yellow-skinned kid shivering and shaking making his apologies to all the people he hurt, and then having to set up restitution plans for all the money that I sold. I mean, it wasn't a lot. I'm not talking about hundreds of thousands, but it's significant. Um, So, it was $450. And at the time, that's a lot of money to have to pay back. Anyway, every time I did it, every time I made an apology or paid someone back five bucks towards the, the, the 20 I might have took, I felt better. And I had to recognize that. And I didn't quite understand it until... I really got through the end of it, and in early that took me a couple of years. But as I was working my way out of it, I also started feeling a little better about myself. And by the time I got to the end of it, at least as far as that part of my life was concerned, I got off my own back, and I stopped beating myself up for doing something that millions of other people do. I didn't do it successfully, and, and I made my amends. And that allowed me to be done with it, and I've never, ever looked back on it. I, I know that I am a recovered alcoholic and drug addict. I don't have any shame about it. I don't think about it. And it allows me to be useful to other people that have that same problem and are still looking for help. So that, again, excuse that long speech, but it's to say if there's something that comes up in your Dhamma practice mm-hmm. that you recognize that you've harmed some, someone in the past or yesterday, and it's an actual harm, again, we need, like, when I counsel people to do this, like, you get be careful that you're not just seeing something... You're not seeing more of yourself that you actually had an effect. But if it's an actual harm, make an amends. Go say you're sorry. Or if you've broken something or stolen something by accident, maybe, pay it back. But that's just being a mature human being. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, no great wisdom in that. But we should do it. And we shouldn't use this as an escape. And So you brought up yeah. something very important. It's not an escape. It's, it's, uh, the Dhamma is full human accounting as well. Yeah. Right, Dom, Ram? That right. makes sense. Right.
2: Yeah, even in, you know, in business, if you're doing a job and you damage something, you fix it. Yeah. You know, don't, you know, and and, and that makes it easy. Yeah. Because if you try and shove things under the rug or say, I didn't do it, or I... You know, they should have known better. You're
0: making karma. Right?
2: You're just making karma. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're just making things harder for yourself. The easy thing to do is make amends, fix it, go on. Yeah, always. You know, And, you know, whether or not the, it's even noticed. If, but, you, if you try to get away from the immense part, like to right a wrong that you have done, you're setting yourself up for a lot of mental activity. Yeah. Making, you know, um, say, telling yourself that this, you know, uh, you know, it shouldn't be done. That mental activity is all stress. It is. And you mm. just, you know, so, yeah, all, all the past the things that you have done, if you recognize it later on, you know, go back, make amends. Yeah. yeah. If you recognize it in the moment, that's something that that, whoops, you know, this Good. was not, you know, something it's, comes out of your mouth, you know. Yeah. And I've done it, you know. I've said things that, that, you know, were just, weren't even meant to hurt anybody. But yeah, I realized, but it, realized it, that, did? that was yeah. not the right thing to say. You make amends. Yeah. Yeah. because And it liberates you. Yeah, yeah, you drag it along. And it don't. also oh, frees
0: it. the other person if they're willing to let it go. They may or may not be. But you give that, you, yeah. you're, offering, you're offering peace to a to another person as well when you do that Give them the chance. it's up to them to, to, to and, and again I'm, we're talking about one-on-one but i think you can realize that if we can do this one-on-one mm-hmm. and start spreading it out a little bit wider we might be able to do it across the planet the buddha did not teach salvation and i'm not but if there's one way we're going to end conflict in the world if we'd like to this is the way to do it and it's mm-hmm. the only way that i can see Thank you, Rob. You right, know. Jen? Yes. <laughs> you uh-huh. validate me a lot today.
4: <laughs> um, I, yeah, I feel like...
0: Uh, I had
4: this conversation with my husband all week about the same kind of stuff that Laura's talking about, just being, getting, getting, just wading into the swamp, getting myself on fire, <laughs> and being, like, Distracted. By yep. the world, and um, and I always need my little like nuggets, like little one two word phrases to kind of remind myself. And my husband's been really good with it lately. He's just been like, "You're off task." <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you, Alex.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and it's. just going to send him a text later. Yeah, right. it's not what is happening right in front of you right now. Yeah. Right now, this is what's happening.
0: Yeah.
4: Oh
0: And this is not me. back to
4: practice, yeah.
0: Yeah. Why is there restraint? And isn't I mean that's the ultimate liberation. Yeah. It's not identifying with stuff.
4: Yep.
0: And stuff that's obviously not me, is it? Right. Thank you, Donna Teacher Jen. Dominant (laughs) Teacher Ron. Let's not forget our friend Becky. Oh yeah. (laughs) She you were so eloquent before I figured Oh you you
5: figured that well, she said what she needs to say. Are you sure? No, I, I just want to say, well, Good. I think um, I haven't spoken with Jen all week. And listening to what she just said, I think we've both been on the same track. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think everybody is this past week, you know. it's just Yeah, it's things, been. Current events bring that up.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's the same, you know, yeah. the current event can can bring that to mind, you know. What's going on? How do we live in this world like this? And but again, it it can bring us back to even what you said, Jen. You were with you were with your husband, you know, right. the guy that you love. That's right. the that was the good thing there. It yeah. wasn't It wasn't the thing that is going on in the world. Right. We exactly. all
5: have that. Yeah. Know. Um, I do feel though that I have to. Maybe just maybe exert a little bit more right effort because I've been having a hard time meditating. I feel like I'm doing wrong meditation sometimes. <laughs> and it's I keep trying to attribute it to something, which is not staying in the moment. Mm. Um So I'm just happy to be here and I'm hoping I'll be able to have a few of those right view and Pesico moments soon.
0: (laughs) I'm sure you will, Becky. Uh, And Dharma practice is like that sometimes, huh? It just doesn't seem like it's there. um, Were you... Recognizing that you were caught up in your thoughts at some point and you came back to your breath.
5: Yes, but not very
0: often. That's still right meditation. <laughs> again, the, the Buddha didn't say go find the root of a tree in empty hut and don't lose your mind for more than six. <laughs> he said go do it. And again, I, I, that, I, I was always caught up in you know I got to do this a certain way and I got to have this result until I read this over and over again, where the, the Buddha's only instruction on what to, when going to meditation is this. Find a root of a tree or an empty hut and do jhana. And then he taught us those, the initial part of the four foundations of mindfulness on how to do jhana. It's, it's the clearest thing in the world. And so congratulations for keeping your practice up when you really don't want to, because that's real right effort. Thank you. You're tough like me. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, really, that's why the Buddha taught right effort, to remind us that there's going to be times mm-hmm. when dhamma practice doesn't seem like it's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's when we do it. Hopefully, we'll do it uh, with more more vigor and intensity than, than otherwise. But the way I, I've noticed over the years, we talk about it, especially among our teachers, that when certain huge events that are distracting everybody occur, the the Sangha declines a little bit. Um, and it's happened in every kind of major event. Um, and, it, and it's just that way because it's so hard. <clears throat> If we're, if we're, it's so hard for us to maintain concentration, isn't it? I'm not, not, that we, not that it's so difficult we can't do it, but it is a difficult thing, especially for beginning people, mm-hmm. um, that any distraction that comes along, we're gonna, we tend to jump after it and say, well, I can't practice now, the world's too awful, how can I meditate when this is going on and that? And every time we have that thought, that's the time to practice, that's the time mm-hmm. to meditate. Because any human being... And again, this, this is something that I thought many years ago that surprised me that I had the thought, was how ridiculous is it that, a, that an adult human being can't just sit quietly for a few minutes without going crazy? But at one point in my life, I couldn't. I literally, it was two minutes, and if there wasn't something going on, I couldn't sit still. And I was an adult. I really wasn't, was I? I mean, physically, you know, I had the years to be an adult, but I didn't have any maturity, I didn't have any understanding. And now I can sit for hours. I look like a, like a zombie. My poor dog. let move. Do something. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for a wonderful class. We'll continue our Wise Restraint Structured Study on Tuesday. David will be class, teaching Tuesday's class. Uh, and this is leading up to our uh, retreat at Wandarma Center. Huh. I just got distracted.
5: David, did he call on you?
0: Oh, yeah, David, I'm sorry, I'm really distracted today. So much for concentration. Yeah, I, just I, <laughs> I just got distracted by uh, an email. If there's a. Yeah, will talk about it. All right, we'll finish with, with uh, the Metta Sutta as we always do. So, again, take a moment to become mindful of your in breath and your out breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddhist words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. Uh, Even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Thank you, John. Peace, everyone. Thank you, John. Thank Enjoy you. your holiday Thank you, weekend.
2: Thank you. Bye. Bye.
7: Bye.
0: Thank you for listening.